Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests and a few little surprises along the way. The show proper is still on leave currently, and we're bringing you intermittent updates of news as we prepare our third season, our new season, which is set to release in the, well, let's say late January, early February of 2018. Exciting, uh, already taping shows and looking forward to it a lot. The news is quiet on the Star Trek front, as you can imagine, as Discovery is settling in to be our new show. So the news is mostly about that. And there's not much to tell. Uh, The show's going pretty well. As we reported previously, CBS has reported that they almost doubled their subscriber base based solely on Star Trek Discovery. And so that is definitely good news. But there are a few things to talk about. So let's get underway. Well, all is not necessarily fantastic in CBS All Access land. Some users found difficulty streaming the show for last Sunday's sixth episode of Star Trek Discovery entitled Lethe. According to CBS, about 5% of All Access users had problems accessing the show. Uh, I'll tell you right now, it's way more than five. Uh, That is corporate spin. Uh, I had a problem. Uh, Ella Pearson, my co-host for our live Discovery recap show, Star Trek Discoverage, we both had problems. Uh, We were late getting started because we both had to sort of chug through the series. And then going online on social media, I saw that plenty of people did. So it's not a big deal. I hope that it's just due to this new subscriber growth. Or, I don't know, maybe somebody tripped over the cord or something at CBS All Access headquarters. Not a big deal. Just, you know, be honest with us. That's fine. But CBS did resolve the issue, and nobody's reported any problems since. I actually rewatched one of the episodes, and it was fine. So, you know, a little frustrating on the night that it comes out. But otherwise, everything looks good in that department. And Discovery fans are free to go back to freaking out about all the normal stuff, like there being a holodeck on the Discovery more than 100 years before the Enterprise-D, or the thousand-year mind meld, or whatever. Just just relax. <laughs> Lethe was actually a really good episode, uh, I felt, and uh, was action-packed and gave us more depth uh, to the relationship between Burnham and Sarek. And we get to see Amanda. That was cool. However, we did not, as I tentatively predicted, get to see the character Lethe from Dagger of the Mind, which was, that was a stretch, I admit it, but it would have been cool, one of my favorite episodes. Of course, the real good news on the Discovery front is that Star Trek Discovery has been renewed for a second season. CBS announced it just this last week, and the Star Trek Discovery official Twitter feed said, Hailing all frequencies, season two confirmed. Thanks for watching. Can't wait to bring you more. Hashtag Star Trek Discovery. So that is great news. That's all we know. Um, producers like Kurtzman and I think Harberts and Berg have talked about possible plans for season two. But nobody said anything for sure. And we're fairly certain, I think, that they're not going to follow Fuller's original plan of making it in an anthology series. Which would be neat, but would be, that'd be tough. That'd be difficult. So it'll probably be more adventures from the crew of the USS Discovery, which I'm all down for. I'm loving it. Bring me Robot Girl and Flyhead, and I love everything so far. Uh, love to see more of that. So it's really good news that they are definitely coming back. Just a few updates on stories that we have reported on previously. People are still talking about the F-word that launched a thousand think pieces 
and it doesn't seem like there's any consensus in fandom whether it was good or bad, but it's definitely new. It is not your daddy's Star Trek, as they say, and people are still trying to figure out how they feel about that. Uh, the story that's on everybody's mind, which we reported early and has now been picked up by a lot of outlets, that a lot of people think that Shazad Latif is playing silly buggers with us and that he is a part of some conspiracy, you know, not in real life or I don't know, it seems, seems a little shifty, uh, on the show that he is actually um, somehow the character Valk and that who's, is who Ash Tyler is. Uh, we don't know, although Yahoo TV... That bastion of information, that Woodward and Bernstein of contemporary investigative journalism, did ask Tyler, Tyler, his name's Tyler, Latif, in an interview about the theory, and he said exactly what you'd expect. He said, oh, fans, oh, they love the show, don't they? <laughs> All kinds of crazy theories. <laughs> nice. Hard-hitting. Hard-hitting, Yahoo. Nice. My thing is, um, I know one person we can interview that has the answer, Javid Iqbal. Drag this guy out. If they really wanted to disprove this thing, show us Clark Kent and Superman in the same room. Now, we don't know that Superman has robots. doesn't matter. I want to see uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne in the same room at the same time. But that's never going to happen because this Iqbal guy doesn't exist, right? Bring him out. That's what I say. Just so we can know. And, of course, this is where our usual segment of appreciation would go concerning raging mantar Jason Isaacs and whatever he's up to this week in our segment... Isaacs, and yeah, there's, there's no, there's nothing really going on. He's behaving himself. Uh, let's just say that he's, he's tired. This never happens to him. Um, he's had a great plot line on this last episode, Lethe, where he gets a little close to Admiral Cornwall, and we get to see the effects of that. They set this fortune cookie thing up the first time we see him, and it never comes back. And I feel like it should have made an appearance in the seduction scene, where maybe the Admiral cracks one open, and it says, you will meet a tall dark handsome stranger and he can add in bed that's just a first draft you guys can do whatever you want with that but please please more fortune cookies in the future if the food synthesizers can criticize your meal choices we need some cookies telling us what to do that's for sure our top comment on social media from this week comes from youtube as a matter of fact we've had a lot of positive responses to our star trek discoverage live episodes Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining the conversation, and we are definitely going to continue doing them as the show goes on. This particular comment comes from user Jem Jemison on our Discoverage episode for Lethe, the last episode that aired of Star Trek Discovery. I was debating on the show with my co-host Ella Pearson about the appearance of what certainly looked like a moon in the sky of Vulcan. The beginning of the episode, Sarek gets aboard a shuttle to take off to go to this diplomatic meeting that he's on, and it's this beautiful, beautiful view of this planet, which... Yeah, you know, it's not said that it's Vulcan. I think we can assume um, it was sort of reddish. So I could see like it would be Discovery's version of Vulcan. That's fine. But there's like a huge planetoid and like a smaller one as well. So there's like a giant moon or a planet and another moon. That's like at least one, maybe two moons. That's like one and a half moons. And of course, <laughs> Vulcan has no moon. We know that. And this has been, you know, a source of debate for a long time, specifically I think in the script of yesteryear, DC Fontana wrote, highlighted, underlined, asterisk, exclamation points, Vulcan has no moon, they drew a moon in the sky, of course. And then so, you know, they had to deal with that. Um, in the original uh, cut of Star Trek The Motion Picture, there's a big moon when Spock is on Vulcan undergoing the colonar. And so 
I was like, what is this? Should I just not believe what Spock said? Was he wrong? And user Jem Jennison cleared it all up with the comment, quote, the opening of Vulcan is not a moon. It's Vulcan's sister planet. Here's an explanation from Memory Alpha. And I won't read the entire excerpt, but it does clear it up and it shows that people are thinking about this. There are other reference works in the Trek universe, like Worlds of the Federation and Star Trek Star Charts, that offer an explanation that it is a sister planet, which is not technically, uh, hasn't been named or seen on screen, or has been seen on screen, depending on your definition, uh, and the sister planet is called Takut, which is something that I'd heard about before, but I never put two and two together. So thank you, Jim. That does put my mind at ease a little bit. I just don't know why they have to keep doing this. And it's like, we've got two strikes already. So I wonder, is the third strike them just doubling down, but then, you know, we have to go get the information on our own? Or did somebody forget again? But either way, a a long time ago, (laughs) uh, people who did these reference works um, covered our bases there. They came up with a good reason. So I can believe that. That's fine. Here's what I don't get. I asked what the crystals were at the beginning of Star Trek Discovery's credit sequence. The ship is, you know, flying or sort of being drawn and constructed, and then you see these crystals flying by, and they're all green crystals. They look like kryptonite to me, and I wondered if they were dilithium, because dilithium, when we see it, um, is usually, you know, in the original series, is often depicted as uh, pink or whitish, just hearkening back to the original series, because that's the era that we're in here. Um, In Mud's Women, we see a damaged crystal, and it has... Maybe it's just the light. I'd call it pinkish, but it's definitely like a kind of rosy quartz-looking um, type deal. Um, in Alana of Troyes, you know, she has their necklace, which is dilithium, and it has the same sort of look to it. So, to me, that just says, yeah, they're they're kind of pinkish, or at least they're crystal-looking, um, but not green. That's so distinctive. But try Google image search- searching for it. Um, you'll get a lot of responses. So if they've retconned it or if they've just decided um, that it's supposed to be green or it's a different variant of dilithium, that's fine. You know, I accept that. Dilithium, now in spearmint flavor. Anyway, Jem, thanks for your comment and for clearing that up for us. For your comment this week, you win a Kolinar necklace, little dusty barely used. Remember, listeners, you can get all scholarly on us and maybe have your comment read on the air. Just go to facebook.com forward slash EISTpod or find us at EISTpod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com and on the YouTube versions of our shows. You can also reach us at EISTpod at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions or to just say hello. We're waiting to receive your transmission. And we're back again this Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Central Time for another episode of Discoverage. Right after Star Trek Discovery ends, the episode this week is entitled Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, which another wiki tells me is a quote from the Iliad and refers specifically to the breastband of Aphrodite. Is that like a bra? I'm not exactly sure, but it has to do with Aphrodite and her powers of love and desire. So looking at the preview of next week, I'm not sure how that connects, but then I'm not sure how any of these interestingly titled episodes really connect to their names. But that's okay. Uh, I like a good weird title, and the episode for the week after next is even weirder, and we'll talk about that too. Tune in to listen to us live on Sunday, and if you do, tweet at us during the show using the hashtag Discoverage. I'll be keeping an eye on the Twitter feed, and we'll try to integrate your questions live if you've got them. If you can't catch us live, our Discoverage shows are available in your usual podcast feed, but I would encourage you to come and listen. We've had some great discussions and some great guests so far, and it'd be no problem for you to just TiVo, insert competitor's recap show name here. 
And while you're contemplating that, why not check out our Patreon page, where you too can become a crew member for the show by going to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod and signing up to receive exclusive subscriber content like my DS9 recap episodes. We are up to number three, I think, episode number three of DS9, and it's been fun experiencing that show again for the first time. You can also find my Klingon Christmas Carol rehearsal diaries and much more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Join us live on Sunday night or catch us on your feed later. And as always, anything you can contribute to the show would be appreciated. It would help keep us flying. Thanks. And that is it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an Apple Podcast listener and you haven't yet, please look us up on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Also, write us a little review if the spirit moves you and give us a rating at the very least. It helps us and we'd appreciate it. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher. You can also listen to it on YouTube. Wherever you get our show from, if you would leave positive comments and ratings on those platforms as well, we'd be eternally grateful. And as always, if you like the show, tell a friend. We'll be back on the air this Sunday night for our latest live recap episode of Star Trek Discovery. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban signing off and saying, live long and prosper. Yeah.